Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes already. This is a Mesh Musings episode where I do a relatively short overview, some might call a few of them rants, on a specific topic related to Data Mesh. I try to put uh, you know my few summary takeaways in the show notes too to make it easy to decide if this will be useful for you. Quick reminder as well to hit the Data Mesh Understanding link in the show notes to easily review listings of past episodes you might have missed, you know, that I've grouped up on different topics to make it easy if you want to do like a deep dive into governance or something like that. Do check out the Data Mesh Understanding offerings as well and the free community introduction and roundtable programs while you're there. Now with that, on to the Mesh Musing. Scott goes off about data contracts. Part one, Mesh Musings number 43. Sorry if the title is a bit too much. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. I recently watched the documentary about how one of the stars of that show bought an English football team with Ryan Reynolds. Okay, so data contracts. I did a bit of a deep dive in early 2022 and kind of stayed away from this since then. Sorry if I created some monsters uh, out there. <laughs> some people that are uh, talking that are, uh, yeah, anyway. And some of this is going to have a bit of rep- repetition of the registering your use case bit, but I think it is very incremental to that. And I'm not going to be able to cover absolutely everything when we're going to see more evolution in the data contract space. So I see a ton of things around data contracts, and most things I see are about enforcement and measurement of defining the schema and then adding some SLAs. So basically, is this meeting its expectations as set by the producer and the consumer can go, okay, this is meeting expectations. And all the contracts are just stuck on the data set as if that's good enough and users can take it or leave it. You know, I find this, I'm going to look at the contract. If it's good enough, okay, I'm going to start consuming from it. I really don't like the term data contracts in general versus data sharing agreements. I recommend using the data sharing agreements thing internally to really engender what they are about. But even the word contract, when you enter into a contract with a vendor, Is it literally only about the SaaS product and the SLAs as defined in the contract? Maybe if you just have a little throwaway use case, say you are using Calendly for your calendar. Think about a big purchase, something core to your actual data practice, your data platform. Are you really just swiping a credit card and moving forward? Then why do we treat these data contracts as if they are the same? Here are the pool rules. You get what you get, right? No. This is about creating a relationship. I understand with the factory product industrialization model many aspire to in data, whether that is good for data mesh or not, hard to say, but back to my point about vendors. 
you are forming a relationship that is far beyond the contractual bounds and bonds. When you start a company, you start with a company, right? You sign an agreement. Is literally every aspect of what you do in that agreement? No, probably not, right? What are we trying to do with data and a data product in data mesh? Is the data product the point? Or is it merely a vehicle for exchanging information in a way that is reliable and understandable and trustworthy, including how much you can actually even trust it? So why do we keep trying to treat it as if it is a simple consumable good that we inherently understand? When you go to the grocery store, you understand what food is because it's labeled, but at least in my case, not sure everywhere. I have a general understanding of how much I can trust the food's safety and quality. That food is just something I eat. It doesn't have nuance about the world that I might not understand. So the data product is, again, a vehicle for exchanging information in such a way that is reliable and understandable and trustworthy. Are some SLAs and documentation going to communicate like what we actually need? Is that really going to fully encapsulate everything that you could derive from this and what it means and everything about the domain are just in some SLAs and some documentation? Probably not. I've mentioned Khan Chow's episode number 44 a lot. One point he made is that when they were trying to do data services before really implementing data mesh, the data consumers weren't complaining all that much. Yay, the data was finally going to be reliably available. But the services rarely met data consumer needs, so the data consumers had to do a ton of the heavy lifting themselves to get the data to the quality, trustability level they needed. They were taking what was available and doing the best they could because (laughs) prior to that, they couldn't even get the data. So it's better, yay, but it's not good. Instead of taking the opportunity to have real deep conversations about what would actually meet consumers' needs, it was just that the producers were producing what they thought people wanted. This is where I get so frustrated in the data contracts conversation. The the damn SLAs aren't supposed to be what's listed simply because that is the way the world is. Oh, I found this data product. It's SLAs don't really meet my use case, but alas, it's better than nothing. No. We need to be able to have the conversations about what would best suit our needs as, as a user. And maybe that we need to create a second data product to meet those new needs. And you know, you don't want to make everything exclusively fit for purpose. You want reusability, or I might add another aspect or another API or another whatever to my data product. And then I can go and talk to people and and that might be useful to all of them. But you don't have that if somebody just comes and finds the data product and starts consuming. I kind of think of the SLAs of data contracts as a workout and or a meal plan. Most people start from a kind of base plan. When I lived in the Seattle area, I went to this amazing strength and conditioning gym. That would think almost as intense as CrossFit, but way more controlled and less likely to hurt you, right? (laughs) I went in and worked with the two women who run the gym and we worked around my general injuries. And I've got a lot of weird and wonky ones, right? And it was there, we worked together to help me meet my goals, but keep me safe. 
That is, I was having a pinched nerve problem at the base of my neck. Not great to be lifting weights directly overhead when a sudden stabbing pain that causes either muscles to just lock up at best or me to drop whatever I'm holding at worst could come at completely random times. And it would probably be more flared by lifting something above my head. You probably don't want to drop, you know, 100 pounds or more directly onto your head and neck. Treating your data products like they are a general workout plan or meal plan will likely have as good of results as those typically do, right? When you just have a general workout plan or meal plan that isn't adjusted to the person, they're pretty darn bad, right? So my point I keep circling back around is that the data contract is a collaboration. And with it, we need to potentially customize to best meet a customer's needs or a consumer's needs. But that actual exchange of information, what are you trying to do with the data is so crucial. And it's not just a one-off conversation either. The world is evolving. The world of data being produced is evolving. The world the producing domain operates in is evolving. The world the consuming domain operates in is evolving. Do we think of contracts as being written in stone? Or do we evolve agreements based on current needs and what's possible? Think about you know, I think about this almost like a consulting contract where, you know, you might have it as a statement of work of this is what we're going to have for right now. But OK, that's no longer relevant. Are we still working together on this uh, incremental thing? Are, we don't have to say that this data product can never evolve and that we want to keep that conversation going. And that that's something that I think is lost sight of when we keep doing this just OK. This is what it is, and I either accept it or I don't, right? Let's look at a scenario in a not-so-great data contract environment. Hey, you, you dropped this column. That was super crucial. No fair. You violated your contract. Well, the external data provider we use no longer provides that column. Let's look at this in a good data contract environment. Hey, we just got notified that in 30 days, our external data provider will no longer be providing us that data, so we will need to version. Let's discuss what we can do to limit the negative impact, as I know that is an important column to your use case, because we actually talked about it. Oh, wow, that, that sucks, but thanks for alerting me to it, right, that this is going to be uh, changing. Hmm, well, we were looking at XYZ metric, you know, what is available from them as the data, uh, you know, external data provider that doesn't maybe exactly quack like a duck, but it at least looks and walks like the duck that we were using. Is that available in the data set we already buy or, or have internally? It creates the conversation instead of, again, these silent, I'm just going to go and start consuming from it, and that we think that the contractual terms are a click-through EULA, and I don't have an ability to speak with these people. So you see, in the not great environment, you still might get the rug pulled out, but in the well-functioning environment, there's trust, right? Things still may break, things still may change, but the producer is looking out for the consumer and saying, I know this will negative in negatively impact you? How do we mitigate most of the pain? Or, or what about if the producing domain has really discovered something super interesting or, you know, different and in their view, better approach to sharing their data? They can go to potential consumers and say, hey, we've got this. If this is this a value, how do you want this? And that it makes that versioning 
potential conversation a positive instead of a you're breaking what I'm doing. I go into semantic drift too, but I think that's a topic where either I'm the only one I can find talking about it or I'm out of touch and it's not really a major issue. Okay, let's circle back a bit to trust and, and data quality. So data quality is such a blah term for many because it's so nebulous. So data contracts at least get us to be super specific about how we measure aspects of data quality and what our thresholds are for in compliance versus not. And that's actually a massive innovation improvement for most and why data contracts have taken off. Data contracts, when it's just the schema and the SLA, are far better than what we've had because it's actually got clear definitions and it's got a clear thing that says, I will version this for you. You know, you talk to many data teams and they're talking about, we do data quality best practices. And all consumers hear is, hey, we're going to try our best, but you get what you get. There's a great line in an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where Buffy's you know, bestie Willow threatens another character saying she'll beat him in the face with a shovel if he hurts Buffy or betrays them or something. Like, I'll beat you to, to, to death with a shovel or something like that. And he looks at her shocked and she just says, you know, a vague threat does no one any good. A vague promise is the same. We'll give you quality as a promise is nothing. I don't know what quality means to you. I can't see how high the quality is. I can't understand how you are measuring your quality. So this getting specific around quality is really crucial, but it's just not enough. So the way people are talking about this, this you know, requirements in the SLAs, it's, it's great. It's such an improvement over the way things have been done, which has just been data has been produced and you find it and you go, eh, this, okay, this has some documentation. I guess I kind of know what this means. I don't know exactly how it's been uh, modified. I don't know, uh, you know, I can't look at the lineage. I can't do that versus, oh, wow, this actually has some, some terms around it where I can say, oh, this is, this is what they're guaranteeing. But it's, it's again like the, the last mesh musings about registering your use case. We aren't doing the things to just, like if we just try and do um, the, the using of data without actually having the conversation, we're leaving so much more on the table and we have to really think about how do we actually drive value from data instead of how do we do data contracts? That's, that's not the value. The value is how do we drive value? So, okay, I'll wrap up what I've said here a bit, and we can explore this in future episodes. Uh, remind me to do one about RBAC and all that fun stuff and all that. Number one, I am the first one to do data contract deep dives, and I am sorry for that because of all the, the crazy noise it, it created. Number two, data contracts have to be about cementing trust about what you'll deliver, but the point isn't the data contract, much like the point isn't the data product. It's about creating trust and understanding around an information sharing partnership. Number three, I'll reiterate, data, data contracts are about trust. If you take nothing else away from this 15-minute rant, it should be that. Number four, if if all you have are schema and SLAs, it's not a contract. It's basically a kick, click through EULA, you know, end user license agreement. It's not something that that's, it, it gives you some value because you know what you're getting, but it's just not nearly as valuable as it could be. 
Number five, SLAs are not written in stone from upon the heavens. They must be negotiable based on need. We can talk about how we get producers the help they need to meet stricter SLAs in the future, but it also might be that you you go to them and, and you tell them, I don't need this crazy of SLA. And so you're putting all this effort in and all this cost to meet this. And it just doesn't matter that much to me, right? Like that contract makes it so that you can actually have a real conversation and that you are partnering together to evolve. Number six, when we have silent data consumers and there is only a data contract, not an actual agreement or partnership, the trust is probably not really there. It's higher than just a data asset because there is at least some contractual terms around what they're going to be consuming from, but still it's not great. And so trust is what drives value from data usage, right? Yes, you have to do the the actual data analysis and all that stuff correctly, but trust, if you don't trust it, you won't use it. Number seven, data quality is a nebulous term. Get super specific about what you need and why as a data consumer and get super specific about how you measure quality and what you'll hold yourself to as a producer. Okay, that's a pretty good start on contracts for now. So with that, I'll shut up. Scott out. Hopefully that was a useful mesh musing for you. Please do rate and review the podcast. It really does help. And if you'd like to get in touch and see how I can be helpful to you, check out the show notes. I'm pretty easy to find. As I mentioned, there are some great free programs in addition to some very affordable things around implementer intros and roundtables on the Data Mesh Understanding website. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And with that, now on to the funky outro music.